if you're a Christian, then God's at work trying to make you look like Jesus, trying to make you look like this. And if you're a Christian, you signed up for that. When you became a Christian, you said, yeah, that's me. I want to become like Jesus. You might not have known you said that, but you did. That's part of the deal in the contract. When you became a Christian, you get forgiveness and you get heaven and you get, you get all that stuff. And you're giving God permission to work on you, to make you look like Jesus. So we all start like this. We're a lump of clay. And this is where God wants us to get to. We're all somewhere in between these two things. And God's desire is to get us from here to here as close as he possibly can before we die. And we said the deal with the clay, really our major responsibility is just to respond to God. We don't necessarily have to do anything. We just have to respond to God. We're the clay. God's the potter. The pot doesn't form itself. The potter forms the pot. So all we have to do is respond to God. Now, this is hard as a brick. If I threw it at you, it would kill you. It's, you, can't, you can't do anything with it. This is hard. If this is you and you're resistant to God, he uses a hammer and a chisel, which is not fun. If you're responsive to God, he uses his hands. He molds you and shapes you. It's a lot easier. Either way, if you're a Christian, you're gonna, he's going to be working on you to make you the vase. You signed up for that. If you're not, that you're in a different category altogether, which is not better. But you're in a different category. If you are a Christian, you signed up to look like this vase. And he's either going to use a hammer and a chisel, or he's going to use his hands. The choice is yours. And so what we started talking about a couple of weeks ago, were what are the tools that we give God to use? It's kind of funny that God is all-powerful and he's all these things, but he cooperates with us on so many levels. And one of the things he does is he says... Here are the things, if you'll do these things, I'll use them to shape you. It's like we're giving him tools in his tool belt. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the first thing that we need to do is we need to learn how to hear God. If our major, response is to, if our major responsibility is to respond to God, well, we have to know what we're responding to. We have to hear God first. We have to learn how to listen to him, and then we can respond. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and we said if you're a Christian, you can hear God. The Bible's very clear. My sheep know my voice. If you're a Christian, then you're God's... You're one of his sheep, and you know the voice of God. A lot of us have confidence problems with that, but those are separate issues. So anyway, that's where we were a couple of weeks ago. We're going to look this morning at another tool that we give the Lord. This is Matthew 25, starting in verse uh, 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two gained two more. But the one who had received the one went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. The man with the two also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, we'll go ahead. Yeah, this is about money. We're going to talk about money. We're not going to pass the offering bucket again. I'm not going to ask you to sign a pledge card. I'm not going to ask you to commit to anything. Like, we're good. We're going to talk about giving in kind of a broad sense. And if some of you have been in church before and you know, that's kind of a preacher trick. We talk about time, talent, and treasure, all the T things. But what you know is the only thing we really care about is your money. And we just talk about those other things to make us not look greedy. So we're just going to we'll deal with the money thing first so we can all relax, and then we'll get back to kind of the parable and I think what it's trying to teach us. God does care about your money. Yes, he does. He cares about a lot more things, but he does care about your money. Matthew 6.24, he says, where your treasure is, your heart is. That to me is backwards. It seems to me that where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Well, I love this thing, so I'm going to give to it. That's not what Jesus says, and he's the smartest man who ever lived. He says, where your stuff is, that's where your treasure is going to be. I don't have any treasure in the stock market. I can't tell you where it is right now. I don't know what it's done the past few weeks. I don't, I don't get heartburn when it goes up I don't, or when it goes down, and I don't you know, get excited when it goes up. I don't have any treasure there. It doesn't matter to me. My heart is not with the stock market. And for those of you who do have treasure there, you know how that goes. We see that in our own life. So God does care about our money because he cares about our heart. And where our money is, that's where our heart is going to be. So real quick, just kind of, here's my take on my cliff note version of God and money. Should you give if you're a Christian? Absolutely. The Bible's very clear that you should. Where should you give? I think you should give to your local church. Wherever your home church is, that's where you should give. If you don't have a home church, if this isn't your home church, then you don't need to give any money here. If this is your home church, then I would say, yeah, you need to regularly support this ministry. The Old Testament, that's what the Israelites did. They took a percentage of their stuff and they brought it to the temple to support the ministries of the temple. That's When we pass that bucket, that's what we're doing. The people who say, yeah, this is my church. I'm giving money to support the ministries of this church. The New Testament, Paul's very clear that if you make a living preaching the gospel, then you should make a living preaching the gospel. And that's, that's me. And that's kind of where we are in terms of giving. Most people don't have a problem with that. Where we have a problem is how much. How much should we give? You may have heard of tithing. That's given the first 10% of your gross income. Not your net, your gross income, usually to the local church. The reason it's your gross is because it's the first fruits. God gets the first. Before any withholdings, before any deductions, before taxes, before health insurance, before any of that stuff, IRA contract, before any of that, you give 10%. If you make $40,000 a year, then your tithe is $4,000. You make $100,000 a year, your tithe is $10,000 a year. You, you get that. Now, I don't believe that Christians have to tithe. I think the tithe is an Old Testament concept. It's found in the law. And I think the Bible, the New Testament, is very clear that we're not bound by the law anymore. Galatians 3.25 says we're not under the supervision of the law anymore. Romans 7.6 says that we don't live according to the written code, but according to the Spirit. I don't think not tithing is the unforgivable sin. You don't have to do it if you're a Christian. If you believe you have to tithe as a Christian, I would say you need to quit eating bacon, and you need to read Leviticus and brush up on all the other laws you have to follow. You either have to follow all of them or none of them. It's not, there's not this, well, this one you do and this one you don't and this one you do and this, it's all or nothing. 
And again, the New Testament to me is very clear. You don't have to do it. Now, I think you have to give. I just don't think you have to tithe. I think that's an Old Testament concept, and we're not bound by that. You can disagree with me. You'd be wrong, but you can disagree with me. <laughs> now, we can talk about that. I mean, there are plenty of people who, who do disagree. I just, to me, it's very cut and dried. Cut and dried. The, law, the tithe is part of the Old Testament law, and we're not bound by that anymore. So we sweep it all away. According to um, 2 Corinthians 8.11, this is what Paul says about giving. Our gifts should be according to our means, because according to verse 12, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So that right there says that giving is a proportional deal. There's not a flat rate that we all pay. It's a proportional thing, and what God's looking at is not, he's not judging your giving based on your giving. He's looking at what you have and what you're giving based on what you have, not based on what you don't. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't. There's nothing he needs to spend any money on. Doesn't do anything for him. What he's looking at, again, is our heart, because where our treasure is, our heart is. And so he says, set aside a percentage. That's what he's looking at. Your gift is acceptable according to what you do have, not according to what you don't. So you don't need to feel bad if you don't give a lot relative to someone else. When you need to feel bad is if you're being stingy. As long as you're being generous, it doesn't matter what the dollar amount is because that's what God is looking at. Romans 9, 7 says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that's it. That's the reason I think this is one of the tools that God uses to shape us, is giving. It's a relational deal. It's between you and the Lord. It's not something that you work out on your calculator. You pray and you ask the Lord, how much should I give? And then he'll tell you, and then that's what you give. And whatever percentage that happens to be, it happens to be. Now, I think it's something you should probably go back over every year and ask again, particularly if you get a raise or your income changes. But it's a, it's a means of grace, Giving is. And the reason, again, I think it is is because it, there's a relational component. It has to do with asking the Lord. There's not like a spreadsheet where you say, if I make this, then I give this, I'm good. You have to in, include the Lord in the process. So those are kind of my cliff notes on giving. Should you give? Yes. Where should you give? To your home church. How much should you give? It's between you and the Lord. But don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. And God's the one who'll tell you if you're being stingy or not. And if you have problems with that, you can Talk to me, and I'll tell you if you're being stingy or not. Um, three guys, I don't know, is Al, Al Otto in here? Peter, will you raise your hand? Peter Tompkins, Brandon Hutchins, and then Al Otto is not here. There are three guys that are on the finance, they, well, they are the finance team for this church. If you have any questions about our budget or the, the way we operate, talk to them. They'll be more than happy to tell you. Our books are open, so you can, if you've got questions, by all means, ask. We're not talking about this today because we need money. We're good. We can pay the bills. I'm not angling for a raise yet. That'll be later. So you don't need to worry about it. We're not about to start any big ministry or build something. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I'm not. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. Could it be a credibility problem? Uh, or Yeah, it could be for me. And that's just something you'll have to wade through this morning. The Bible is very clear on uh, greed. And all those passages apply to me and the leadership of this church just as much as they apply to anybody else. So, but all I can say is we're good, and um, I don't have any ulterior motive, ulterior motive um, for bringing this up this morning other than I do believe giving is one of the tools that we give the Lord that he uses 
to shape us. I think it's 2 Corinthians 8, 7. It says that though Jesus was rich, he became poor for our sake so that we might become rich in him. Jesus was the most generous guy who ever lived. He didn't have a lot of money, but he was the most generous guy who ever lived. He gave up everything that comes with divinity to become a person for our sake. So if we're going to become more like Jesus, we have to be generous. And as we're generous, we will become more like Jesus. Those two things are tied together. So that's the reason I'm bringing it up. I feel like it is a tool that the Lord uses to shape us, particularly where we live in Cobb County where money seems to run the show. If we can learn how to be generous, it will go a long way to becoming more like Jesus. So, back to our parable. Is it about money? Yes, but it's about more than money. Our English word talent comes from the Greek word talent um, in this story. And a talent in this day and age is about $1,000, so that kind of sets it up. One guy got $5,000, one guy got $2,000, one guy got... $1,000, but even when we talk about a talent, we mean a lot more than money. I can say she's a talented person. That has nothing to do with income. This is a parable. It's a story grounded in real life intended to teach a broader spiritual truth. So it is about money, but it's about more than money. So try to hear that. It's about everything that the Lord gives. We've talked before about our relationship with God, and there are all these different um, pictures that we get in the Bible. Father, God's our father, we're his children. God's a shepherd, we're the sheep. God's the bride, Jesus is the bridegroom, we're the bride. All these different pictures. One of them is owner-steward when it comes to stuff. God's the owner, we're the steward. And let me kind of build that for you so we can all be on the same page. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there's but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. John 1, 3, speaking of Jesus, through him, that's Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. James 1, 16, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Psalm 24, 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. What that saying, all of those verses, and that's just a sampling, is God owns everything. It's all his. Genesis 1, 1, first verse in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He's establishing his ownership over everything. So if you can imagine two piles of stuff, there's God's pile and there's our pile. And just looking at Psalm 24, 1 and 2, we can figure out what goes in each pile. God says, Psalm 24, 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So in God's pile is the earth and everything in it. So everything God made, water, land, animals, plants, all that stuff is God's. And everything that's made from that stuff is also God's because he owns all the natural resources. Nowhere in the Bible does he give us it's nowhere in the Bible does he says it's yours. He never gives up ownership. He allows us to steward and manage, but he never relinquishes ownership. So in God's pile is the earth and everything natural in the earth and everything made from any natural resource because God owns the raw materials. We still don't have anything in our pile yet. The rest of the verse, and God owns the world and all who live in it. So also in God's pile are all the people who've ever lived. We said before there's been about 120 billion people who've ever lived. 
So he gets all of them and everything they've done because, again, he owns the natural resources. And he never gives up ownership rights to that. So God's pile is everything that's created. According to Genesis 1, he created the heavens and the earth. He created animals, plants. He created people. He created light. He created time. All of that stuff is in God's pile and all the people who've ever been created and everything they've ever done. And then we get everything else. So you can do whatever you want with everything that's left over. That's your pile of stuff and my pile of stuff. Everything else is God's pile of stuff, and he owns it. So whatever you decide goes in your pile. Anything that you can think of that's not a person and not done by a person and is not created or was not made from something that was created, that's all yours. Or, and everything, and then God gets time too because he created that. And then you have your bucket. Do whatever you want with your bucket. God's not going to, it's not a big deal to him. That's your stuff. And you can do what you want. Everything else, he says, I own you, steward. We don't talk a lot about stewards anymore. Some of you maybe who do financial work, I think, what is it called, a fiduciary? I don't know a lot about that, but that's the idea of being a steward, which means someone has given you their stuff, and they want you to use it on their behalf. Someone's giving you something, and they're saying, I want you to manage this for my, according to my wishes and my benefit. And that's really the key idea of being a steward. It's not just that someone's giving you something to use. They want you to use it according to their agenda and according to their desires. If I give you $5 and say, I want you to go to Marietta Pizza and get me a sweet tea and one slice of pizza with pepperoni and Italian sausage. It's my money. I'm giving it to you. You're stewarding it for the two blocks, three blocks up there and you, to buy it and bring it back to me. Now, let's say you get up there and you're standing in line at the counter and you start thinking, you know, sweet tea is really just sugared water. It's not good for you. David's getting a little paunchy in the cheeks. Maybe he doesn't need... Maybe he doesn't need all that sugar. I'm just going to get him a water. And you know, pizza, Italian sausage and pepperoni, that's fatty meat. There's grease from the cheese. That's a heart attack waiting to happen. He's closer to 35 than 25. He needs to start watching what he's doing. You know what? I'm just going to get him a side salad. So you, I send you up there to get me a slice of pizza with pepperoni, Italian sausage, and a sweet tea, and you come back with a Greek salad, no dressing, and a water. Were you a good steward? No. You might have been a good nutritionist. You're a terrible steward. It wasn't your money. You don't get to decide. If you want to buy me a, the roughage, use your own money. My money's going to pizza. I get to decide that. I gave it to you. The same thing is true with God's stuff. We don't get to decide. He gives us a ton of latitude with what we do with all of the things that He's given us. With our money, with our time, with our intelligence with our strengths, our talents, all of these things that he's given us. James 1.16, every good thing comes from God. Anything good you have is from him. And you might say, I work hard for my money. That's great. He's the one that's enabled you to do that. You're just being a good steward of what he's like. It just keeps going backwards. You're being a good steward of what he's given you. The opportunities that he gave you to be born post-World War II in America and not in the 1500s somewhere. That's a gift. College, that was a gift that some of you had. All of those things. All, yes, you work hard for your money. But it's not your money because you're being a steward of what God's given you. Everything you have ultimately goes back to what the Lord has given you. And you maybe have been a good steward of that and you've multiplied it. 
You've multiplied your time. You've multiplied your intelligence. You've multiplied your effort. You've mul- yes, that's wonderful. But all you, you still don't have the raw, the, the raw materials were all his that he gave you. And according to this parable, at the end of time, he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And if you come back with a side salad and a water, and he said, I want pizza and tea, you can't get, your, you can't get out of that. You can't talk him out of that. Well, you know what? This is better for you. It doesn't matter. It wasn't your stuff. That wasn't your decision. The context of this parable, all three of the parables in Matthew 25, there's three. The ten virgins, this parable of the talents, and the sheep and the goats. All three of those are about the end time judgment of God. All three of them are saying, Jesus in chapter 24, if you have a Bible like mine, it's all red. Chapter 24 is all red and chapter 25 is all red. That means Jesus said it. It's all one sermon. They're just have, they just broke it up into two chapters. It's all one message. Chapter 24, Jesus says, this is how you'll know the end of the world is coming. And he gives all these signs and says, this is all the stuff you've got to get ready. And then in chapter 25, he tells three stories to illustrate everything that he just said in chapter 24. The parable of the ten virgins, the point is you better be ready. The end is coming, you better be ready. The point of our story, the parable of the talents, is the end is coming, you better be responsible. This is how you're going to be judged. He's going to say, what have you done with what I've given you? The parable of the sheep and the goats is you need to love the least among you. All of those parables, Jesus is saying, you, if you want to end up on the right side of eternity, read these parables and get the point. This is all about the end time judgment of God. This isn't about God wanting to, it's not a nitpicky stuff where Jesus is trying to exercise a lot of control and he's pulling the strings and we're, no, this is, Jesus is given a global picture. The end is coming. You're going to stand before this throne and God's on it and he's going to say, what did you do with my stuff? And what are you going to say? Side salad and water? Or I did what you wanted me to do? That's the point of this parable. It's not meant to scare us. It's meant to encourage us. God has given us a ton of stuff. And we have a lot of latitude in how we use those things. God's not a micromanager. But he has said, this is what I expect. And at the end of the day, he's going to ask for results. That's fruit. The word fruit appears in the New Testament a lot. That's results. But it's results that the Lord produces. But he will produce it through us. You've got to do something with your stuff. You've got to invest it in the things of the kingdom, the things that God says he wants it invested in. And again, I'm talking about more than money. So a few quick things about this parable. It doesn't matter how much you've been given. It only matters what you do with it. If you look at the response of the owner to the guy with five talents and the guy with two talents, they're exactly the same. It's verbatim the same. What does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He says the exact same thing to the guy who gets $5,000 and the guy who gets 2000 The guy with 5000 turns it into ten. The guy with 2000 turns it into four. They get the exact same reward. What that tells me is it doesn't matter how much you've been given. It only matters what you do with it. Again, that kind of goes back to the proportional giving, the idea of a tithe. It doesn't matter how much I give relative to less. It matters what am I giving relative to what God has given me. And that's how it is with all of your stuff. Everything God has given you. Well, I'm not as smart as them, or I don't have as much time as them, or I'm not as talented. It doesn't matter. 
Anytime you put as them, it doesn't matter because that's not how God's going to judge you. He's not going to say, you did really good compared to you. What he's going to say is, did you do really good with what I gave you? And he knows. Like, he knows all of the frailties. He knows all of the circumstances. He knows all of that stuff. He's the best judge because he knows everything. He's going to judge rightly, and he's going to judge based on what you've been given, not based on what you haven't been given. You're not held accountable for that. The dude who got $2,000, he couldn't help that. That's what the master gave him. He's not held responsible for the fact that he only got four instead of ten. That doesn't enter into the master's mind. That's not a part of the equation. The only thing that matters is you did well with what I gave you. So if you think you got one talent or you think you got five, it, it doesn't matter. The expectations are the same. What are you doing with them? And don't look around. It doesn't matter what they've been given. That's no excuse. The guy with one talent didn't have any excuses. He couldn't say, well, if you'd just given me more money, I could have. doesn't matter. You got what you got at our kid's school for lunch. You get what you get, and you don't pitch a fit. And that's what it is. You get what you get. Whatever you've got is what you've got. So what are you doing with it? No excuses. There are no excuses. That's the second thing that you see. There aren't any excuses He says to the one-talent guy, this is a pretty harsh thing. The one-talent guy says, comes back and says, here, you know, this is all I got. I have the one talent you gave me. And his excuse, his reason for it only uh, being one talent, for not investing it, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Side note, this isn't a parable. um, It's not an allegory. You can't say, well, the owner is God, and that's God talking. That's, a parable is a parable, and it has one main point. You don't want to look and try to figure out the meanings of everything, because sometimes there is no meaning. It's, just, it's a story that's based on some real-life situation. So don't think that's God talking, saying, yes, I'm wicked, and I, don't, I harvest where I haven't sown, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's the dude's excuse, and the master says, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker, so when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. What the guy's saying is, well, if you knew that about me, then why in the world did you bury the money? If you knew that I was the kind of guy that was always looking for a return, whether or not it was legitimate or not, how in the world did you think putting my money in the backyard was going to please me? You got no shot. You were doomed to fail the moment you buried it. According to kind of rabbinic law, burying money was the safest thing you could do. He was lazy, and he was also taking the safe route. And what the master's saying is, basically, you hung yourself with your own words. If you knew all that stuff about me, then why'd you do this? You knew you couldn't please me. And that's kind of the same thing with us and the Lord. We don't have any excuses. Here's the parable. You're going to be judged with what, based on what you do with what he's given you. Luke 12, 48, Jesus says, To him who's been given much, much is expected. And that's us. Regardless of kind of how you feel relative to someone else in Cobb County, in terms of where we are historically and globally, we've been given much. And God's going to say, well, what have you done with it? And there aren't any excuses. You know, I've told you very plainly, I'm expecting a return on my investment in you. I'm expecting fruit. That's not any heavy weight. The thing about fruit is it comes naturally. 
Apples, trees, naturally produce apples. They don't have to grunt and strain and grip their teeth. and It's just what happens. Apple trees produce apples. And if you're staying responsive to God, you'll produce fruit. You don't need to sweat it. It's nothing to make you feel guilty about. That's kind of this whole thing that we're talking about. He's the potter. All we're doing is responding to him. And if you're responding to him, at the end of the day, you're going to get well done, my good and faithful servant. Come share in your master's happiness. You're going to get that if you faithfully respond to him more often than not. It's nothing to stress over. But there are no excuses. He's told you, this is what I want. I want a slice of pizza and I want a sweet tea. You know what he wants. So there aren't any excuses. The last thing... This is the law of atrophy. It seems pretty um, cold to us. The master says, take the talent from him, from this one talent guy, and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. We say that's not fair. Come on. The guy's already got ten. Why are you taking away the one that this guy has? That's just not right. It's not a matter of fair at all. One, it's the owner's money. If I've given you $100 and you $100 and you've turned my $100 into $200 and you put it in your backyard, of course I'm going to give it to you because I want you to do it again. All of the resources God needs to accomplish his purposes on the earth, he's given to us. Doesn't seem like a smart plan, but that's what he's done. Everything that needs to happen, that he wants to see happen in the earth, all of the things that are necessary for that, he's given to us. Matthew 24, 14 for instance, Jesus says, the gospel must be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. The resources to fulfill the Great Commission are in the church. Jesus isn't going to start yelling from heaven. That's not what he's given all of us a responsibility to play in that. The money to send missionaries, it's in the church. The people who will actually go are in the church. The people who will pray for them, they're in the church. All of the resources that God needs to accomplish his purposes, he's given to us. So he's expecting us to do something. And if we don't do something with those resources, he's going to give them to someone who will. And it's not that he's mean. It's that there are things that have to get done. And at some point, you're holding up the program. At some point, if I choose to bury my stuff in the backyard, I'm getting in the way of what God wants to do in the world. And so he's going to take that and give it to someone who's going to use it for his purposes. And again, it's not a mean thing. It's just that he's, he owns everything and this is where we're headed and you're not helping me get there. So I've got to take this stuff from you and give it to someone who is going to help me get there. That's all that is. Again, it's not mean. It's use it or lose it because it's not yours anyway. And if you're not going to do it, I've given you all this stuff, great or small, and if you're not going to do anything with it, well, I'm just going to take my gifts and I'm going to give them to somebody who will. It's your choice. He doesn't take them away until we've shown that we're not worthy of them, that we're just going to bury them in the backyard. Matthew 10, 8, when Jesus sends out the first missionaries, he says, freely you have received, now freely give. And that needs to be our attitude towards everything. That has to do with ministry. That doesn't have anything to do necessarily with money. The context of that is you've received all these things. He's telling the disciples, you've received all this stuff from me. Now I want you just to give it to the people who you're going to. Give them forgiveness, give them healing, give them deliverance, give them peace. All these things you've received from me, I want you to give. The picture is just the disciples are a channel and Jesus is pouring stuff into them and they're supposed to just channel that stuff out to other people. They didn't earn what they got. They received freely. 
So give it away freely. And that needs to be our attitude with everything God's given us. We receive it freely and we give it freely. We're just a channel. And if we put a plug at the other end, at some point God's going to quit giving. Not because he doesn't like us anymore, but because we're not participating in the program. We're not being a channel of his grace into the world, and that's what he needs. He needs channels of his grace into the world. Y'all have heard this story. This is Mark 12, and I'll close with this. This is the story of the widow um, giving an offering. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Now that's kind of sweet, but if you think about what Jesus said, it's bizarre. What he says is, this is a $100 bill. So some people are throwing in these, and this is a penny. And she's throwing in this. And what he says is, this is more. And what bizarro world is this more than this? What? Truly I tell you. When he says that, that little introductory formula, truly I say to you, or verily I say to you, or truly, truly, depending on your translation. When he says that, what he's saying is, I'm about to give you something that you can hang your hat on. This is really, really true. Really, really, truly, this is more than this. Now, if I lay both of these on the chair, who's going to pick up this one instead of this one? Anybody? No. You'd be an idiot. You would, Except Jesus. He picks up this one instead of this one. In what world is a penny worth more than $100? Or whatever it was that these people were giving the thing about this woman is it says she gave out of her poverty. Everyone else was giving out of her wealth. She gave out of what she had. Everybody else was giving out of what they had left over. And that's the difference. Are you giving out of what you have? Or are you giving out of what you have left over? Money, time, talent, effort, relationships, opportunities. Are you giving out of what you have? Even if it's just one talent. Even if it's less than that. If you're like, I don't even have a, th- I got a nickel. That's all I got. Are you giving out of that, or are you only giving out of what you have left over? If you're giving out of what you have left over, no matter how big it is, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need our stuff. What he's looking for is our hearts. And where our stuff is, that's where our hearts are. And he wants to know, are you giving out of what you have? And that's between you and the Lord. That has nothing to do with me or how much you're writing a check for. It has nothing to do with how many hours you volunteer at the church or how many hours you volunteer at must. It doesn't have how many times you've shared the gospel in the past month. It's not about the numbers of any of that. It's about God's giving you things. Are you, what are you doing with them? Is there any fruit being born out of the things that God has given you? Are you just giving him what you have that's left over? Are you just giving out of your leftovers? I'm done. I don't have a lot of time left. I'm wiped out this week. Whatever it is, God, this is what I can give you. Even if it's small, if if all you have is a penny, and you can make that a metaphor for anything, all you have is an hour. That's it. You got an hour this month. That's it. 
whatever it is. If all you have is a penny, are you willing to give out of the penny instead of waiting to see what you have left over? No guilt, nothing heavy, don't, but just the reality that that's what God's looking for. He's given all of us stuff. Maybe you think you're five talent, two talent, one talent, I don't know. But whatever, what he's saying is, what are you doing with what I've given you? Don't bury it. You know that's not going to make him happy. There's no excuses. But will you invest it in the things that he's asking you to invest it in, in his purposes in this world? Will you, to use kind of that terminology from 2 Corinthians 9, will you sow the seed God has given you in the good soil so it can produce fruit that he's happy with, not fruit that maybe you would just be happy with? Giving can be one of the tools that we give to the Lord that he'll use to make us look more like Jesus because Jesus was the most generous guy who ever lived. And as we become more like him, we'll become more generous. And as we become more generous, we'll become more like him. We're going to take communion now. Um, We've got a couple of guys.